0: Welcome to 21st Century Saints podcast and live stream series. This is the final episode we recorded in 2021. It's now the first couple of weeks of January 2022. We apologise for the delay. We've had COVID, illness, all sorts of crazy things going on in our families. We're so sorry it took so long to get this episode to you, but here it is at last. And this is possibly the most special episodes we recorded in our first year of podcasting we're excited to present this to you we hope you love it as much as we did as always you know where you can get us to leave questions and comments we love to hear from you on facebook youtube all of the usual places Um, and with that we hope you enjoy the episode Welcome to 21st Century Saints, our podcast and live stream series for members, those affiliated with, uh, those who hang around, are interested in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and all of the rest of the traditions that come along with it. Um, Alana, how are things with you? Oh, what's today's date, by the way?
1: 17th, Wednesday, the 17th of November.
0: November and uh, you doing good?
1: I'm wonderful thank you. Busy, busy, busy.
0: Um, We have wanted tonight to happen since we first started this podcast. Um, (laughs) I think this, I think we got to experience um, this really amazing presentation that that you guys are going to be able to hear um, a matter of weeks before we started actually and I think it was part of the um, empowerment um, that we felt and you know when things get to sort of crisis point and we're like you know something something's got to give here that I, I think this was part of our story. Um, so what I'm going to do um, l- let's let everyone get their bearings um, since we I think we may have some new audience members tonight so what I'm going to do is just maybe go around everyone and in fact what I'll do is I'll hand the time over to these guys and um, Alana, I'm just going to get you to introduce yourself with a little bit about your background first.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, so my name's Alana. Uh, I'm 40 years old. I have an eight year old daughter who thinks that she's 18. Um, I keep saying I'm going to get the jail soon uh, cause she's driving me crazy. Um, I am no longer active in church. Uh, things just got a little bit too difficult for me. Um, And lockdown allowed me to see that I was more happy out with the church than I was in the church. So um, I've just been finding out lots of new things about church history and it's been wonderful and doing this podcast, which has also been wonderful, getting to meet lots of lovely, lovely people and to hear their stories and backgrounds and things. So yeah, it's been a good journey. It's it's had its good minutes, bad minutes, you know, angry, tears, all that, you know, uh, with a lot of the hurt that I've fail from things but but it's also been wonderful because I've got to meet such wonderful people
0: absolutely hasn't it been great um and I am the active Mormon in the group um guys I don't know what to tell you it's I, I know it's a mess right now uh but we are you know this is a, a an amazing space of growth um and I think one of the things that Alana and I had been Super concerned with um something that was really important to our faith journey was some of the issues that we're going to be talking about tonight. And I'm so excited.
1: Big big, big issue for me. Uh, big, yeah. big issue.
0: Um, and we so were going to be able to share a really exciting vision. And you know what? With that, I'm just going to hand the time straight over to our friends Valerie and Kira so uh do you, I'm just gonna let you guys go for it so do you want to so we hi? get
1: to sit back and relax tonight is that what you're
2: saying
0: yeah mm-hmm. we're gonna enjoy
1: it. Okay.
2: thank you thank you so much um Jane would you go ahead and share the screen
0: are you ready for that okay let me yeah We'll
2: keep you just a little moment to scroll down. Okay. And to our, our our folks listening in, I apologize for my hoarse voice. Um I'm a professor and it's towards the end of the term and um I've just I've talked so much. <laughs> and of
0: this is the moment. To the, there we go.
2: Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for inviting us to be part of this um, tonight. Um, my heart is very excited uh, to be here. And um, although I will say, I do wish we were coming to speak to you in person. Ah, like, that, that would be important. amazing. Yeah, you know, like, yay for Zoom or whatever. But truly, we would love to just, you know, come and give you a hug and <clears throat> have a trip across the pond, but um, it is remarkable to be here today. Um, I'm excited to introduce my uh, co-speaker, Valerie Green. Well. We have had shifts in the places we hold as women of faith and what it means uh, in practice. And so today we want to take you through some of that as a format <laughs> for discussing women's blessings <clears throat> and share with you um, some of the sacred female spaces that we have found together so um in a true uh irritating fashion that americans have i'm gonna give us your give you guys my mormon cred and then val's gonna give you hers um and i'm gonna i might even mention pioneers you know just super irritating (laughs) um but it's a you know so so mormon cred here we go we have some um so my mormon cred i was born in the covenant i'm a byu graduate i served a mission i was married in the temple my ancestors were in the doctrine and covenants um i've held all the callings um the one i excelled at the least was primary chorister that was a dark time um i have no gift uh in that respect um and so so i am a biologist and, and a professor and i always refer to myself as a mormon cricket um, that really captures both my heritage, my identity as a scientist, and then really my natural snarkiness. So as you know, we're not Mormons anymore. We are Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And, um, and I didn't know I cared so much about my ancestry until, uh, I started getting corrected on it. And then I was like, well, you can't, you don't get to do that. I mean, my Mormon pioneer ancestors, I'm not saying they weren't a quirky bunch, but they're kind of dear to me. And you don't get to go changing their name and a name that they wore and died for. Um, And I said, it's just like in biology, there's a Mormon cricket, that's a a species in Utah. There are no Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint crickets. That's not a thing, they're Mormon crickets. Um, And I'm a Mormon girl, so I'm a Mormon cricket. I may currently belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I'm a Mormon cricket heart and soul. And that's my cred.
3: So, as you heard, Kira is a professor. And so I'm the lab rat in this entire experiment that we encountered. I also happen to be a 57 year old transgender woman. I am an ordained high priest. I existed in the church for over 50 years in the patriarchy. Um, I am an ordained high priest, a former high priest group leader, former elders quorum president. I've held many other positions that required my membership in both the Armonic or the Melchizedek priesthood. I was married for 34 years until I was widowed in 2016. My spouse and I were married in the D.C. temple at the age of 18. I have five children and six grandchildren. I fully socially transitioned on January 1, 2019. I'm also an avid tennis player, a 37-year systems analyst. I'm a founding member of the MAS LGBTQ ministry, and the secretary of the St. Louis Gender Foundation here in the States. Since transitioning, I've dedicated a good part of my life to helping other transgender people who have not had the privilege that I've had experienced and experienced in my transition.
2: So I should also point out that Val and I have been in the same ward for about a decade. Um, And Jane, I'm gonna flip in and out of sharing the slides uh, so that you can see our faces at, at different times. Um, the story we want to share with you begins on a rainy night in September of 2020, and we want to take you through the experience with us, in part because along the way, we had many personal mini-lessons and what I would call divine reminders.
3: So on September 30th of, it's still last year, I was checking to make sure it was still last year, <laughs> uh, 30, of, of last year, it was a big day for me because I that was the day that I had scheduled my gender confirmation surgery. I spent a rainy day Sunday before that packing for my two-week trip. Earlier in that day, my ministering couple had offered to come by and give me a priesthood blessing. That's something that I was used to, and frankly I was impressed that my priesthood leader and holder in my ward would come by and give me a blessing considering the nature of of my surgeries. That blessing brought me some peace, but I had no idea what was coming up next. Kira contacted me earlier that evening and offered to give me a mother's blessing. This is not something that I had considered asking for. It was still very new to me. I'm very familiar with Melchizedek priesthood blessings. Those were the norm in my world. And so when I received the offer, I hesitated. Was it too late? This is late, stormy night. Was it inconvenient for Kira? What about the weather? but my hesitation was all about logistics. As soon as she offered it, I knew that I wanted it.
2: We almost missed this because I am, even now as a middle-aged woman, a super, super slow learner, very slow learner. So I had felt this prompting all week and I would feel hesitant and then I'd get busy. So mini lesson number one, listen to those promptings. Um, But also, Even at the last minute, the gods are merciful and giving us every chance. So mini lesson number two for me, uh, it's never too late until it actually is.
3: So Kira suggested that we could do this in whatever I consider to be my sacred spot. And when she said that, I realized I didn't have a sacred spot. But Kira knew what to do about that, too.
2: I told her, don't worry, we will make the ground we stand on sacred.
3: And that's exactly what we did. Now, why on earth was this blessing even an option in our minds? I learned about this type of experience almost a year before when Kara sent me an article, a copy of her dialogue article of a transgender woman. She wanted to make sure that it was inclusive. After I cried my way through the article, I sent her a note telling her that I know I found it extremely inclusive. I was strongly reminded of the Bene Gesserit from the Dune Trilogy. I was always fascinated by that part of the Dune story. And I didn't understand why until I read her article.
2: It is the nicest compliment from my little nerd heart ever to get a Dune reference. Uh, it's it's the most delightful thing that uh, has ever has ever been said about me, Val. I just It's so wonderful. Um, <clears throat> okay, can we start sharing the screens again? Does
1: it have it? Just remember you're muted, Jane, so we can't hear you. <laughs>
2: Oops.
0: Are is
3: you, it sharing? You're sharing here? Sorry, it
0: mm-hmm. is trying to share. It will just oh. be one moment. Sorry. Sorry. It's pumping right. down.
2: This might be the difficult part.
0: Yeah. When we were testing it, it was going great. There (laughs) we go.
2: (laughs) Okay, great. So this really is the main question. And in many ways, Valerie and I are traditional Mormons. And certainly both of us are creatures of order.
3: But we like spreadsheets and logic. We're nerds, I've been working as a software developer and a systems analyst since I was hired at my first professional job on my 20th birthday.
2: And like I said, I'm a science a professor of biology, I like data, I like order.
3: Carol once told me, you are remarkably orthodox. And I think it's funny because she said that after my transition.
2: <laughs> well, it's true. So what I want to do here is give a quick tutorial on the points addressed to make this proper for us, to show you the the doctrinal basis for a mother's blessing. And this is not a talk of the history. Um, I can give you some homework for that. Uh, There's a Women in Authority link, which we can put in the chat. Um, In fact, I'll do that right now. Um, Although actually, yeah, now I'm scared of hopping off of the the screen. Um, I'll do that after, now I'm just too nervous about it. Um, but uh, for some homework, um, Ferris Nedden has a wonderful uh, upcoming book that must be read, um, but the detailed questions of how, how it is that we feel we had the authority to do this. Okay, so walking through this. Oh, there's your reading assignment. You can grab it there, or um, uh, also we can put the link in the chat. <clears throat> All right, so a couple of questions here um, why did we need a restoration of priesthood? Well, this is a fun one. I mean, we know this one or rather those of us of a certain generation know it. It's what used to be called missionary discussion three. Um, it was the one with the cups, uh, for those of you who remember this and what you would do is you'd line up the bottom cups. And if these were rotated, you would see the original 12 apostles. And then the fun bit was you killed them off and the whole thing tumbles down. And you make some solemn statement like, and this was the great apostasy. With the death of the apostles, no one on earth had the authority to build Christ's church. So we needed a restoration. And then we have a restoration of priesthood authority because the original line through Christ was broken in the apostasy. So then you build it back up with the current 12.
3: So that is something that was really focused on both on and in patriarchy. Priesthood in the scriptures has always been associated with patriarchal order passed from father to son.
2: And in many royal lineages, you see this. I mean, you want to make sure that you're passing your stuff on to your son. But um, there's a titch of a problem with patriarchal lines. And that is probably one of the reasons for having or acquiring a written record. The problem with patriarchal lines is that they can't be guaranteed. Paternity for most of human history has not been verifiable. This awkward fact has led to all sorts of fear-driven controls over women and their bodies, but it also is what likely led to the need for something verifiable and recorded for passing on male priesthood. Um, You know, I'm just, I'm not reverent enough for the celestial kingdom. This is something you have to know about me. Um, But this is the big question in LDS culture and doctrine.
3: So there's a good chance that on a quick look at any teenage Mormon boy's bedroom, you'll see a framed document consisting of a list of names and dates tracing the boy's priesthood line of authority. It looks like a tidy set of rows leading from the current male all the way back to Jesus Christ, clearly outlining the unbroken and known transfer of priesthood authority by ordination. Pinterest and Deseret Book have supplied innumerable fancy versions of displaying this information. No wonder the young men of our faith often feel so secure about their place in the world. Which brings up an interesting side note. Although I've been asked not to exercise the priesthood, it has not been withdrawn since I transitioned. I'm not really sure how to break it to the church leadership, but they have been ordaining women for decades and they just really didn't know about it. So when Kira and I were talking about lines of authority, I realized that I know hadn't, I had no idea where mine was. So I decided I would ask for it again. I wanted to see what would happen as well as see what it would say. It's all done by email now. So I just sent in a request and then they sent me back a form. I filled it out with all the needed info which I gleaned from the LDS tools and returned it. I was quite clear when I sent this in that the ordination had been done under my old name. I thought one of three things would happen. One, they would refuse to produce it or send it to me. Two, someone would realize my name had been changed on my records, something that has been refused for other transgender people I know in the church, and they would change it back and send it to me with my old name. Or three, I would get it back with a document with my proper name and line of authority. That third option was the one that I least expected, and so I was really shocked when it showed up.
2: When Val sent me this, it blew my mind. I mean, there's a lot to chew and unpack here. Um, like, a lot of... But boy, howdy, look at this. Valerie Nicole, current priesthood office, high priest. Uh, It gives a vision, really, of what could be more broadly. But uh, the fact is, I have no such list of names for myself. I had nothing like this document to demonstrate that my priesthood lineage was unbroken and was known. But I do have this, a mitochondria. Uh, I can say, there you go. If you like, I can extract and sequence the mitochondrial DNA and frame it with something from Deseret Book. So let me give you a little biology lesson about what that means. Um, how many of you have done 23andMe or uh whatever version it's called, Ancestry DNA? It's where you spit in a thing and you mail it off, and they send you back all the juicy details of your DNA. And it's great. We get to see how it all shuffles and the highs and lows of our genetic code. <clears throat> so for review. You are half mom and half dad. Sperm hits an egg. You have two sets of chromosomes, etc. cetera. Almost. Um, there's another kind of DNA uh, that you have. That's your mitochondrial DNA. This DNA resides in your mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, as it is known. Um, and it does not undergo that sexual shuffling that nuclear DNA does with uh, recombination. Rather, it is copied and passed from parent to offspring without the drastic changes and, uh, and shuffling. You inherit your mitochondrial DNA from your mother who inherited hers from her mother and so forth. So a son will have their mother's mitochondrial DNA, but the son's daughters will not. Any mitochondria in the sperm is destroyed shortly after egg fertilization. That's just what happens. So all of your mitochondrial lineage is matriarchal. So here, is my priesthood line of authority. Mitochondria with their mitochondrial DNA provides an unbroken matrilineal record. It's it's fairly small, just 37 genes, but this is something that I carry around with me. I carry my line of authority in every cell of my body in an unbroken chain without question. And I can read the code if I wish and trace back all of my mothers, all the way back to the archetype of all women, Eve. We do not receive our priesthood by ordination. We are born with it. In this way, matriarchal lines of authority are the most inclusive. Unlike patriarchal lines, they are not limited to only men. Every human alive has mitochondria that lets them trace their lineage back to the beginning of our species. It is not tied to gender, sex, or whether you have reproduced. Do you have mitochondria? Then you are in. It is the most inclusive priesthood. You were born, therefore, you are connected and empowered. So this is a Mother's Blessing with a capital M.
3: So is it priesthood? Well, let's consult some recent quotes, the kind of quotes that make the more traditional members of the church feel a little more comfortable. First quote is from the Joseph Smith Papers. and It's a little difficult to read, so I'm going to read it for you. Here's what he told the women of Relief Society in 1842. Joseph Smith addressed the women and told them that the society should move according to the ancient priesthood. Said he was going to make of the society a kingdom of priests as in Enoch's day and as in Paul's day.
2: Elder Oaks clarified that priesthood is the authority and power of God by extension that must also be the authority and power of our heavenly mother the rhetoric, current rhetoric sort of puts around with saying power and authority are separate men have authority we all have power but i think that's rather nonsense we have lineage we have priesthood i have the authority to use that power because i claim it so i decided to give it a name not the order of aaron that great old testament wingman to moses or the order of Melchizedek, mentor and life coach to Abraham, but the order of Eve, a matriarchal priesthood in honor of the mother of all living. I carry her mitochondrial DNA within me and her power resides in my body. It resides in every one of us.
3: And so the mother's blessing that I received was by this authority. As we mentioned before, Kara suggested that we do this somewhere that was special to me i don't have that place but as i thought about it i knew it had to be done outside it just couldn't be done inside a building so that september 30th again was a rainy night it was a cold night but there's a roof over my deck so i decided we'd brave the weather and do it out there we both wrapped up our evening obligations and then kira made her way to my house we chatted for a few minutes about the practice of giving blessings about particularly about women giving blessings and about the blessing that she had given her own mother. Once we were ready, we grabbed a chair and headed outside and that's where we stopped. And she asked me about the form of the blessing or the ordinance we'll be doing sitting or standing. Will We hold hands. What words would be spoken in the end? I picked the form that I'm most familiar with laying on of hands is not uniquely Mormon, And the language we use probably isn't either. But after a lifetime of being taught this way to do both give and receive blessings, it feels distinctly Mormon to me and it feels very right. It bears a formality that feels sacred to me. We also talked about my concept of my heavenly mother and my heavenly parents. I felt that I had been developing a closer relationship with my heavenly mother, one that feels more intimate and loving than that with my heavenly father. I focused on the idea that this was to be communion with my heavenly mother. I've given blessings before, and I've always considered any blessing to be wholly dependent upon the faith of the person receiving it. That night, I was receiving the blessing, and so that night I rediscovered my faith and experienced it as I had never experienced it before. I sat in my chair and Kira stood behind me. And at that moment I could feel the breeze on my face and I could feel the patter of rain on the deck roof. We were exposed just enough to feel a slight mist on my skin below us. I could hear the tinkling of wind chimes and it was perfect and it felt sacred. Kira removed her mask and as she placed her hands on my shoulder, while she prepared to receive the message that I needed, I felt wrapped in an embrace of love. In this moment, just before the blessing started, I was also reminded of my own mother with whom I never had a close relationship. I've often thought that if she had seen our relationship as a mother daughter relationship, that we could have been closer because we didn't have that relationship. I could not see Kira standing in for my own mother. Instead, she was standing in for the divine that night. She placed her hands on my head. And as I mentioned before, The laying out of hands was the most familiar form of blessing for me, but to have a woman do it was comforting beyond measure. I had not thought about the significance of this until she was standing there and I could feel the gentle pressure of her hands on my head. Suddenly it became very real. So now I need to talk about the emotional impact. As I said, I didn't understand the power of this blessing. As she began speaking, I was overwhelmed with love. I have to admit that a part of me wanted to force this to be meaningful Since I was not sure what it would really mean going in, I was determined that I would make it meaningful somehow. Because my faith was on trial, right? If every blessing depends upon the faith of the recipient. It was totally unnecessary. The feeling of love coursed through me, warming me from head to toe. I was no longer aware of anything except that sound of wind, the patter of the rain. The tinkling of the wind chimes, the mist of my arms and face, and Kira's voice. I have witnessed and participated in many priesthood blessings, but never have I heard a voice of more power and import. It resonated with my very soul.
2: <clears throat> that phrase you use. She was standing in for the divine that night. When I saw that in Val's notes, it was the single most terrifying thing I've ever read. Giving blessings is overwhelming. Every time I stretch out my hands and I wonder, will she be there again connecting through me? Am I able to form that bridge between heaven and earth? Or as I think of it, can I be a tree, branches to heaven, roots into the earth? This person who needs our mother's blessing this prayer in my heart is, let me be able to be worthy and clear. Let their faith and desire bridge the gap of the clumsy tool I'm trying to be. This, that's the prayer in my heart every time I give a blessing. Let me be a tree. Val, when I used your name, your true name, your real name, that was the moment. And I remember it very distinctly that the blessing began to flow easily from her, our Heavenly Mother. Names do have power. In fact, I had to pause and exhale, if you recall. I was very uncertain if I could hold it together at that moment. But I can tell you this. I know that that blessing came from our mother. I closed my eyes and felt the power of a thousand generations of ancestral women steadying my hands. Valerie Nicole Green, having authority as an endowed woman of Christ, I place my hands on your head and give you a mother's blessing.
0: Um, Valerie, you're muted at the moment. Do you, could you start that um, section again? Yet yeah, you're still on mute. I'm sorry. Perfect.
3: And I'm just gonna read. As I listened to the message, I could do nothing but gently weep. I still had my mask on. It was pandemic times. And I was grateful because it could catch my tears so it did nothing for my runny nose, and I didn't care. The tears continued as the blessing went on. These are the things that I recorded about that night. I heard of the love of my heavenly mother, of the divine role of women, of the power that comes from my matriarchal line. I learned of my own worth, my own importance, my own identity while I have always believed in my spirit to be female, I was never certain I was seen that way by my heavenly parents. I knew from past spiritual experiences that I was in good stead with them and that I was on a path that was right for me. But to feel seen is exactly who I am, a daughter of my heavenly mother, and to know that she has always seen me that way and has been waiting for me to assume my true form was overwhelming and comforting at the same time. It was the final confirmation that the path I was on was the true and correct path, because it was my covenant path. As I learned this, I had to wonder, why was this the path for me? It didn't take long, as the blessing continued, I was told that I had created a network of loving people who would embrace me, comfort me, and support me and that the influence I exerted through that network would extend far beyond my family, my friends, my community, and my ward. I was reminded that women inherently transform spaces. They transform lives, and they transform worlds. It is this transformative power inherent in my womanhood that drives my very own transformation. I was reminded that women create, The act of creation takes on many forms. Again, I was reminded of the creation of the network that I had already mentioned. A network of people who were available to come to my service and who would often stand in need of service that I could provide. I was reminded that not only had I transformed myself, but also everyone around me. The ripple effects of my very presence extend well beyond the parts of the world that I observe. I was reminded of the divinity of my mother in heaven, that she has always been aware of me and known me by my true name and character, that I had finally come to take the form that she has known for my entire life. I was reminded that Mother Eve partook of the fruit so that she could go out into the world to create. It is this ability, the ability to examine any situation, identify the pragmatic course, and then execute that is the root of all womanhood.
2: Pro tip, all of us should journal like Valerie does. Um, She and I wrote back and forth quite a bit in the 24 hours following the blessing, sharing our experience and what we both recalled. Um, One other point that I wrote in my journal was, tonight i am shaken with the smallest glimpse of the overwhelming love our heavenly mother has for all her daughters she knows each of us and she is very close to us take the moment to share again need slides
0: sorry it will be just one second
3: We all need the rest. (laughs) As the blessing closed and Kara's hands left my head and settled on my shoulders, I reached up. I held her hands and sobbed. Great racking sobs. We held hands and Kara laid her head on mine, and we just existed for a few minutes. Sisters intertwined and forever connected in matriarchal power.
2: This painting may be very familiar to many of you. It speaks loudly to both Valerie and I. For me, when I close my eyes to bless someone, I feel this, the connection of all women on all sides of the veil.
3: For me, it represents the gathering in and the embracing of me by my matriarchal ancestry, that final step of feminine spiritual inclusion.
2: We both like it. It hangs on our walls. <clears throat> there is an increasing hunger and need among women for this. These are very exciting times. There is a swell of women embracing the power of giving and receiving blessings, claiming our rich, rich heritage as Mormon women. More and more women are stepping into that sacred space. Um, we want to break down a little bit of the instruction on this. Um, I don't know if there's a little trifold that does that. And I made it a trifold like the ones from the 80s that would sit outside the bishop's office. Because, again, I'm not a reverend person. Um, And uh, it's built out of the suggestions that come from a collective of women online. And so I will make that available as well. But here's some of the highlights.
3: So there are really three things needed for a blessing. Precedent or authority. Need and desire. Men are literally given a manual, an explicitly granted authority. They have no need to look for precedent. It's on display every single day. Even today, the church is hesitant to talk of the authority for women, so we rely on or look to precedent instead. We then claim this authority. Need simply means that circumstances warrant a call for direct and immediate communication communion with our heavenly mother, our heavenly parents, or simply a divine power. Desire has two parts. There's the desire of the blessing recipient, their faith as I described it earlier, and the desire of the person giving the blessing to act as conduit between the divine and the faithful one in need.
2: There was a community training and modeling for me. And I want to share with you a couple of those details. Um, This was from the exponent Facebook page blessing thread in uh, July, 2019 where a single comment on women's blessings got 245 comments in less than an hour. Many really good practices and considerations came out of that and other discussions. And I've summarized some of them here, things that uh, we, you know, used. Have the recipient decide who will participate. Have the recipient decide uh, the mode, laying on of hands, holding hands, etc. Very important, respecting the recipient's chosen God language. Male, female, genderless, both, no God, um, in the name of nature, any of the above. And don't feel like you have to conform to standard male-centric blessing language. That's very familiar Mormonism. Obviously, we did. That's what Val was most comfortable with. But women's blessings are unique and wonderful. Sometimes a prayer, a poem, a wish, a recognition. They can be in any style and in any length.
3: You'll notice that all of these things were considered for my own blessing. It let me choose to have an experience that was familiar and let me know that Kara was comfortable with whatever form I chose.
2: So one of the big questions we hope all of you will consider uh, is this question what empowers you? And then we're going to answer that for um, uh, here for that. It's something everybody should think about. And I am going to give it to you as homework. Like you now have a homework assignment. I, I can't help myself. It's that point in the semester, I just keep giving homework. Um, so you, you all have a little thing to do here. <clears throat> but it is a point that is central to ponder. For me, it was a summer reading Catherine of Siena. And just how she did as she felt called by God to do, which included ordering a Pope around. Um, and he did what she said because she claimed authority to do so. I was having a very rough summer. It was when, um, in terms of my own faith journey, it was when um, a lot of the abuse cases were coming out. And the the sort of our own spotlight moment in the Mormon church. And I... Um, in, in, in thinking and in struggling with the emotions of the time, I went and talked to uh, a humanities professor who was devout Catholic, and he did um, what was what I needed, which is he gave me homework. He said, here, go read Catherine of Siena. She ordered popes around in a time when women had no authority. And I asked him, I said, how, how did she do that? And this was what he said. He said, she didn't ask for authority. She reached up to heaven and she took it.
3: I was raised by a single mother, and my aunts and my grandmothers, a group of women who instilled me a high self-esteem and confidence, two things that got me through my years as a weird nerd. I also spent a lifetime appearing as a male in a Mormon patriarchy, so my entire life has been filled with all of these positive messages given to males in the church. I almost can't help but feel empowered. But the source that I draw on has changed over time. I now feel it in my relationship with my heavenly mother in ways that I never felt it before.
2: Okay, so we do want to allow a, a set space and time for questions and answers um, with with anyone. Um, the moderators can either put the questions in the chat or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then we'll close it off after a certain point to share some final thoughts.
0: So the chat is quite quiet tonight, but um, I would encourage you, if you do have anything that you want to ask, we do have that time just now. But maybe in the meantime, Alana and I could jump in with a few things that we wanted to ask. Um, so I guess that the first thing that I'm thinking of is that, I wish, um, and I insert the name here, I, I wish that they got to have this experience. And I know so many people that I wish, whether in the church or out of the church, got to have that experience. Could you speak to the experiences of people who don't have the same um, people to draw on? Um,
2: I'll, I'll go first if you want, Belle. Um There's more every day. That's, that's why um, I wrote that dialogue article. That's why we made the little instructional pamphlet. You know, about 10, 15 years ago, if you went into a room, and, uh, like any Relief Society, and said, does anyone know anyone who's ever given or received or heard of uh, a mother's blessing? And you might get one person. And I can do that now in any, any Relief Society. And I get four or five, maybe half the room. Um, which is wonderful, right? That there's a sort of burgeoning growth as women reclaim this heritage. Um, But certainly that hunger of, but I don't have a mother is is about what that will speak to. or um, So the the dialogue article, I talk about the blessing I gave my mother and that was prompted by, um, we were talking about mother's blessings. I had seen one for the first time Um, there is nothing as powerful as seeing the blessing. When I saw a mother bless, so it was really lovely. It was um, a a grandmother blessing her daughter who was holding her newborn. It's like three generations, right? Um, And I wept. I just bawled. But seeing it turned a key in me. I went, oh, it went from hypothetical to I can do that. You see it, you can do it. And that is kind of the missing piece, right? Um, so I was talking about this with my own mother, and um, and that you know this is something we should have and do and and that sort of thing. And um, she expressed this deep sadness um, because, of course, my my grandmother is is uh is long since passed. She lived in ninety two, was fine, but um, she said, "I wish I could have had a mother's blessing," and that was where I felt this prompting. I went, "Mom, I'm I'm." I'm in her matriarchal line. I have her, her mitochondrial DNA. I can stand proxy just like you do in the temple or anything else. I can stand proxy for grandma. So when I blessed my mother, I did it for and on behalf of Roberta Williams, my grandmother. So I think what we have to remember is there are creative and accessible ways to, to reach that. And it is, um, well start start blessing your children and each other and those around you the more it is seen and done uh the further that blessing spreads
1: so i i just have a little thought on that so like i i've discussed this with jane in the past obviously to me uh women blessing people is completely alien it's something i've not heard of until i heard your presentation Um, And so, but although I've I've said that, like being on my own with my daughter, I did say to Jane in the past that, listen, if my daughter needs a blessing in that instant, and I feel I need it right now, I'm not going to wait for no priesthood holder to come to my house to bless my child. Um, I've never actually done it. I think that fear is there in me because of, you know, it's not the norm. But I'm just thinking, like, and I'm not saying this to be negative, Annie, but how does that go down with the church because, in my knowledge, like things like that are not okay, like people would be disciplined for that, or so so how does that that work within the walls of the church to be able to uh, as a woman give a blessing
2: so th- uh, again, Val, hop in as you wish, but I mean, I don't know, no, we haven't gotten in trouble yet, um, but <laughs> yet. Th- yeah. The- <laughs> That, um, that horse left that barn a long time ago. I get letters, since that dialogue article was published, um, initially a lot of them, very few calling me to repentance, by the way. All of them were, um, I mean, things that just shocked me, like, you know, your most orthodox Relief Society president in Ogden, you know, uh, saying, you know... I've been doing this for years and I just quietly, but I knew I was called of God to do it. And I just quietly go about my business doing what 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 God calls me to. And I mean, that is so exactly how women have always operated, right? We don't, we haven't been given a structure or doctrine in that space. So as women always do, we create it. Um, and And that's not new. So, okay, that homework I gave you to go read about, you need to actually go do it they have records all the way up until um uh mid 20th century um in like stake records of um saying you know like like they were reported to the church it's not a mystery to them
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, things like you know the stake relief society president saying you know we did 32 blessings this week we did uh for sister so and so we gave the blessing there's a specific blessing before childbirth um it, when I say it's a big rich history, I don't mean pioneers, I mean you have grandmothers that undoubtedly this is normal practice. I had one of my aunts who is again very orthodox, um, she said, oh yes, I remember when I was Relief Society President in the 70s doing joint blessings with people with the bishop. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Wait, what? <laughs> um, it is just that now we find each other and can talk about it. Mm-hmm. but. um when I say that the horses left the building, uh, I don't know. It's something that never went away, and as it becomes more public, what are they going to do? Get rid of all the women in the church? It's a little yep. bit like votes for women, right? We're everywhere. <laughs> what are
1: you going to do? Yeah. yeah, I think that's as far as my women giving blessings goes. Is back to the pioneers when apparently women blessed their their cattle or their oxen. Or I think that's no, about as far me. as my knowledge goes <laughs> regarding that.
2: Yeah, uh, so but I, Valerie, what are your perspectives on that?
3: I. I've, I've discovered something that was completely unknown to me until I transitioned. But as I, as I developed more communication with women, that was, you know, a less intimate, less personal communication before my transition, but I've learned to hear more of women's stories and experiences. There are two things that really have bothered a lot of women. One is they want to have this, communication with the deity, but maybe they've experienced um, trauma, assault. Um, if they're LGBTQ, um, they may not want to have anything to do with men in their lives. They still crave this communication and this blessing from their heavenly parents, but they don't want to have a man involved. And they don't want to have to have this discussion with someone explaining why they want to have this, but not with you, speaking to a man and face it as a man in authority within the church. And so I've had people actually communicate that to me and say, I want to get a blessing, but I don't want to talk to any male to do it. And so I had the fortunate opportunity. I've not given them myself, but I could talk to Kira who has, knows many more people in this arena than I do and get in touch with someone in a different area to offer to go and handle that, giving that blessing in person. And so it's, it, I think it's unique that we, we don't want to see women who may experience a trauma reaction or, PTSD reaction with the presence of men and authority we don't want to see them cut off from their the, the divine and the communication and the blessings that they should be able to receive especially when they have their soul craving it and asking for it and needing it and this is the opportunity that women can walk in and say yes let me communicate with you through in, in my opinion it would be through Heavenly Mother that's what I would ask for them. And anytime I got a mother's blessing, I would expect it to be communication with my heavenly mother. But whatever they need to do, I, I just cannot see cutting off those women or making them go through something that is not welcome and maybe even harmful uh, just to be able to communicate with their heavenly parents.
0: And you so phrase cutting off women, um, that so that's something that I'd, I'd like to come back to also. Um, we we experienced this presentation, it wasn't too long into um uh, into isolation, into you know the the pandemic was happening and we were having all of these experiences. Um, but as women in the church, we were told that when you can participate in sacrament because the buildings are closed if there is no one in your home to provide you with that then you can say the prayer and sort of quietly to yourself you can recite it in your mind that we didn't even have the permission to say the words out loud in our own homes and even the most orthodox women you know we're hearing them saying that's not okay this cannot be okay and so i think um i i think our um the closing off of this was women's jobs it wasn't it was a very orthodox thing to do you would you would speak to faithful women to ask for a blessing that's what our prophet leaders did um you know uh, until fairly recently um orthodox women are still blessing today in the temple but we're just not used to talking about it we're not being given the language so i'd like to ask about the language i think that's one of the things that um that is the most sort of right where do i start and i love that, that you had drawn from these sources in the exponent thread which i i remember reading with great interest Could you speak a little bit to the experience of the person receiving the blessing then? And how, you know, using that language for the first time, do do you practice? do, Do you write something out? What does that look like?
2: So I think, I mean, yes, you know, um, I've given blessings over the phone. Uh, I got a lot of calls during the pandemic. Um, uh, some people who wanted just a written blessing. I'm not as an eloquent a writer as Val, so I think it's just, you know, better another way. Um, But, I mean, that's why I said you're really not limited on a a mode for what a blessing looks like um, in that respect. But it is, I think, very important to um, have a conversation with the person requesting it so it is what they um, want or need. Um, I know that... uh, the formalities so you do you, i think you do you do have the little trifold run like it's just like when we first like when you, when you learn to pray and the missionaries had like the little you know how to address we thank thee we bless thee in the name of jesus christ no like that i think those little training wheels are are great you know write out some pieces if that helps you out um i know that uh you know valerie's blessing was i didn't have like three days to fast and prepare and all the rest of it. Cause I was sort of behind the eight ball. Um, When I, with my mother, that was a, I mean, we had to fly to California. It was a big deal um, and had a lot of preparation, but like, you know, there was a time I blessed my daughter. Um, she was having, she was, she was ill and um, it was sort of in the middle of the night. And that was like, you know, she said, I want to bless him. I'm like, okay, you just did it, right? So, I mean, this is the, the lovely part about uh, reaching up to heaven. You can have, the big preparation, write something out, formal, et cetera. Or it's just the immediate need right now. In all those circumstances, I have found our mother's weights. Our, she's right there in, in, in all forms. I don't and know if that we, answers your question.
3: And speaking of mother's voice, uh, Kara's told me this story. Um, I can't remember which one of your daughters it was. You were giving, you were, I think it was um, New School Year Blessings.
2: Yeah, or- yes.
3: So Josh, Josh was was blessing one of the kids, and he finished, and she looks up and she goes, "I want to hear what mom has to say. Where's my blessing from her?" Yeah, you know
2: that was that was probably the first time we we started this thing where Josh is my husband, by the way, where we had um as he gave father's blessings, I would stand in this in the circle with him, if you will, and it was it was Kate, of course, it was Kate, my very uh strong-willed youngest child um and yes when, at the end of the blessing she, of, of josh speaking she looked up and said and now what mommy has to say mm. why wouldn't you want to hear what all your parents have to say to you um and from that time on we did it that way um which was really lovely that was very driven by her you know
0: My yeah heart is wondering what it would be like if after sacrament meeting every person stood up and asked now what does mother have to say (laughs) (laughs)
1: um so I was just I was just thinking a little bit there about um what Valerie had said as well you know about so from, from my perspective from someone who has experienced a lot of trauma in their life with men um I've I've often questioned and said to Jane, you know, I I wonder, I've always struggled with prayer and having that connection. I've always struggled with knowing if it's the spirit speaking to me or the promptings. And I sometimes have wondered if that's been the barrier, you know, the, the male figure. Um, and I think there definitely is something there with the the female and mother connection, and not necessarily even just regarding prayer. Um, one of the most spiritual experiences and the most What's the word I want to use? Um, heartfelt experiences that I had um was we had now genuinely to help me here with with um I don't know if it was a 70, a female 70, or from the community of Christ. Oh, uh, yeah. So we have some friends from Community yeah. of Christ, and it was one one of the apostles from there was visiting with with Jane and I, and we had a little one of their services, and and Jane will tell you, like, I cried like. I mean, within reason, but I felt like I cried inside, like I've never cried before, because I felt that connection. Um, And and all that was happening was she was blessing the sac... Well, they call it communion, right? Um, And passing it to me. And that has been one of the most powerful experiences that has stayed with me in my life since then. And I felt so close to that connection of the female mother. Um, And I've said that to Jane... I think the, I'm always wary of seeing the Mormon in me, but anyway, who cares? Um, the Mormon in me, I think, still has that fear, that fear of going out with the norm, out with the box of praying to my heavenly mother. And I, and I have done it once, but I think, you know, I I don't pray as others pray. I, I just talk in my head. I, you know, um, like I said today, you know, um, to the woman I was helping today, I said, let's pray that we get, you know, a disabled parking spot at the chemist. You know, so I don't necessarily do it in in the way that other people do it, but I still always do it, you know, and and thankfully there was a space there, you know. Um so I, I think I think there definitely is something to be said and in, in the power of women and that connection with our Heavenly Mother. And I really, really hope, I really hope, although the hope is there, the 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 worry is there that it will never happen. I, I hope for the day that the church recognises that need for talk of her Heavenly Mother, for talk of that connection that, that women are so looking for because it's all about the males, you know, it's male, male, male. And, and I really do live in hope of that, that, that things will change through time. I know we can do it within ourselves, but I feel it's so needed within the walls of the church as well as for us to be able to have that connection there as well.
2: I mean, I agree. The, the, the institution moves at snail pace, right? Um, women have never waited around for the institution to get their act together. They just haven't. Yeah. I mean, Eliza R. Snow in no way took orders from Brigham Young. Yeah. She told him exactly what she thought and what was going to happen. I, I have this theory that she's the only person on planet Earth he was actually afraid of. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, you, you have this real rich tradition of very strong... Female leadership, um, even though it's not formal, right, and in, in quite the way we talk about, that's um, there. But I think you're right in that there is that there's like when you saw someone blessing the sacrament, a women do it, it it you responded probably very strongly because you're like, here is this missing hole in my heart, and I think, and and honestly, during the pandemic, I think it was really a part where women were suddenly like, well, if my spirituality is going to stay intact. I have to do it. it. I don't. I don't go to a church yes. building and have it run on idle pilot for me. Um, you have to explore your own relationship and um, and and discover that they were not without means. Um, but there is that hunger for Heavenly Mother. I will say, uh, even compared to like ten years ago, um, you do hear quite a bit more. Women are yeah. speaking. When I was a, a teenager, I mean you, you. would whisper about Heavenly Mother. You know, it's like a secret. Yeah. At girls' camp, you know, when the leaders had gone to bed, you say, Did you know? You know, and now, like just uh, this past year, our release society president used that church essay on Heavenly Mother to give a lesson on her on Mother's Day. Oh, that's, that's pretty reofficial official, you know. Um, and and, we all and took, then also, we all took home pictures. what's that? Yeah.
3: We all took home pictures of Heavenly Mother. Yeah, yeah. And, and,
2: and that also speaks to when you said Do you worry about getting in trouble for what? For what? I'm not, I didn't or, get ordained in the Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood. I'm not using men's priesthood.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to to maybe come back to the idea, a little bit of our homework, you know, about, um, I remember when we were, and I feel like this is reflected in the chat. The fact that we don't have any questions tonight is incredibly <laughs> unusual for us yeah people? i
1: think it's possible with the earlier time Possibly. No, well, no
0: actually i i, I no? think what's happening um is what happened with with me that, that when i was experiencing this for the first time you and i we were up at no what time was it like oh, 3. AM, years. yeah so, you know we we're like we are coming we are we, we're gonna be here for this and uh so we, we're up super late and uh, so obviously we're, we're tired but this incredibly things we had never heard before Valerie when you held up your line of authority it, oh my goodness the 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 holy envy the 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 missing hole in my heart thank you thank you for sharing that with us but when you ask the question about about power and what what you know what helps us feel um feel that I, I struggled because i think so much of of my church journey has been powerlessness and i was only i remember speaking in the the breakout group about how i don't know if i really have the language of power because i'm so focused on having to battle through to to be heard or to so when um what I could think back to um and and I'm really resistant to define my life in terms of my children or motherhood but you know it's hugely relevant I think in in this case so I remember holding my child after birth for the first time and feeling like I shouldn't do it feeling like I you know the nurses in the room my husband you will be able to do this so much better than I am I've done this really hard thing and I want to but do I have the right to this child and as as he's in my arms as the midwives are are like come on you're holding him then came having to breastfeed for the first time and no one had taught me to do it you know there there are books you know the kind of guidelines but you feel, you know to be that source of nourishment for one little life that no one is the assumption is that I have the right that that's the only way you're going to get fed today baby this is what we're doing and I have no idea how to do it I don't have the language to talk about what's happening or ask for help if I need it um thank goodness it it went really smoothly and and you know that that first time was you know a smooth experience but it's Felt like then when I would go on to um, bless my son when he was sick, um, you know, many years later, it felt like the same thing, that when I started doing what was natural, what was normal, what was part of my makeup, the language just came. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, could, could we maybe talk about, about power? And, I mean... it. it who even gives you the right to have any power, <laughs> like, like Catherine of Siena,
2: you reach up and you take it.
0: We can do Heaven it. is
2: waiting there. It's yeah. just, and I, I like how you like this. So, so you're very lucky. Um, my daughter was a biter and breastfeeding was not, well, one of them was, and it was a rough go. <laughs> I was like, little baby, you're going to lose some privileges here. <laughs> um, but, but I like that kind of analogy because it does speak to, um, There's all these scary things as adults that we do, including being put in charge of other little humans. And you're like, ah, where's the manual? Or, you know, who said this was a good idea to have me keep something alive? like a dog or a gerbil even, you know? And um, I think about every time you start a new job or anything new, right? Uh, It's terrifying. Um, I think adulthood's just sort of scary all the way around. Um, And a lot of the ways that we settle into feeling comfortable in a role or something is you do it. You just step out there. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I was speaking of when I said, when I reach out my hands, um, the most common form of blessing I've been asked is, is, is you know with my hands, whether to take someone's hand or put them on their head. I just always go, you know, is she going to be there? Is she going to catch me? And um, yes. of course she is. <laughs> it's, you know, it's your heavenly mother. She's she's never not going to be there but it's and nerve-wracking
3: And you know you, you mentioned commented about feeling like a, the connection of nourishment to your to your child and I think that that same nourishment spiritual nourishment occurs with our heavenly mother and we haven't we've been strongly suggested not to pursue it and I don't see any reason why actually be asked not to speak to my mother. Mm -hmm. I I think, I think it happens a lot when, when someone comes home for the holidays, you walk in and the first thing is like, hi mom, you know? And I think that the the relationships with mothers are so different from relationships with fathers. And I think the relationship with our heavenly mother is just as powerful and just as intimate in different ways.
0: Yeah so I, I remember um, uh, again it's sort of speaking to to the powerlessness um, it, it, because it, is, it has been such a barrier for me so I I remember when my oldest son was um, he, he was a convert to the church and around about youth time and as he's going in um, he is called into the deacons quorum presidency because we we have like what two deacons at the time and <laughs> they're both related to <laughs> alan and i <laughs> and um and these little these little boys you know who don't have you know mine who, who didn't really have the language of the church or you know what to do what to expect and so when we were having conversations at home um you know later as my as my uh, older son was was progressing towards baptism time and i was told by um you know by male authority figure at church that I wasn't to teach my son about the priesthood and I remember being kind of stunned at the because it's not true the priesthood is a gospel principle and that's just you know it's that's my job you know but recognizing when we're being taught what is not true um when when we're being taught not You know, when when a barrier is being put in our way to something that we should inherently be able to access, so the reality is, women are giving blessings. It is happening. No one is giving you know permission for this, but it is happening and will continue to happen. And wonderfully, it's happening more and more. The the you know lockdown has has empowered so many women because we haven't had anybody there to tell us no. So, when we, you know, in the weeks after we we had heard your your presentation, you know, I, I remember, in fact, I remember the next day, Alana, you and I had to go and do something. And I remember feeling like I could do anything. I remember feeling, um, like, if I needed um, to, to call lightning down from the sky, I would be able to do it. I just, I felt it all right here. And to know that the heavens were opened to me too, not through somebody else, was huge. Um, yeah.
2: That's um, so beautiful. I, yeah. I wish, I felt like that every day. I wish... Um, all women felt how powerful they were, you know, walked around feeling exactly who they were. That would be
0: outstanding. <sighs> Thank you. It would. So
1: it fun. would be absolutely amazing.
0: So, yeah, I, I feel like this sort of stunned, um, you know, processing time, because really, you know, Alana, you remember it. Like, I had to sit on this and go back through notes and, and, and get used to this alien feeling that is... The fact that I, I, I have authority, I can reach back and and find this, um, yeah.
2: Both of you have spoken to something that I, I wanted to touch on, um, and that is that uh, it's it's alien or it's not known, etc. Think about how good. I mean, Val talked to this. We train our boys, right? they they they're you know 11 and making fart jokes and then they get ordained and they pass the sacrament and you know and they're it's you know and we and they go out in home teaching pairs and they you know it's modeled for them what to do and how to do and and that kind of thing and we don't have that formally set up for our daughters well just like the first primary primary was you know or sunday school or anything else uh we just we have to create that mm-hmm. the that's not those were institutions that didn't come from the top down um, historically. Those were things that like congregations had put together and then the church realized those were good and formalized them. Um, it's going to be something very similar like that, right? Uh, where we don't wait for someone to tell us what to do. Well, women aren't good at that anyway. You know, yeah. we got thoughts. But
0: <laughs> um, you know, what if they said No what if they didn't want that i I think it's it's the idea of being rejected even by this small child who has the authority he's like eight and he can say no that's oh i'm afraid of that you mean like your own children yeah
2: well uh i don't know i mean that's also something where you you can talk about it you can have a family home evening about it um uh, my experience has been that children are delighted to get any kind of attention from their parents and to um experience closeness with them and so um, but you know I mean yeah they might say I'm not up for it it's okay
0: What, what if Valerie had said no that's that's too much
2: it would honestly I it was such a uh I mean there's a reason I hesitated to ask her, right? I'm like, listen, like you no, know, but but I just been chewed on, right? Like you yeah. got a collar. And so yeah, I mean I I wrote her, you know, I actually texted her and and I chewed off all my nails, you know, like, oh gosh, do I just look like a weirdo? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um uh but you know, I think that's true with like anything that we give of ourselves, we automatically undervalue I mean, women are so good at undervaluing themselves and and disempowering. I mean, the, you know, I see this in academia. We just, you know, we we diminish ourselves so easily and don't advocate for ourselves so easily. And, you know, I mean, look at Val's first response was, oh, I don't want to inconvenience Kara." You know, it's too difficult. No. Oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> um, it's just uh, uh, I guess that's just the struggle of women. Right. then anything-
3: yeah, anything that I write, whenever I write stuff, I put stuff on Facebook all the time when inspiration hits. She's so brave. And I start and I'm like, why am I writing this? Who wants to hear this? What's it going to mean to anybody? You try why and take yourself out of it.
2: It's terrifying. Every time I publish something, and I don't write that often, it's not my medium. Uh, and I always run these things by Val um, because I do. I feel like you're just, it's like you're taking your pants off in public or something. You know, you're just, <laughs> oh,
0: it's just, it's just
2: terrifying.
0: Yeah. How um, are we to have best friends that <laughs> are like, no, you need to do this. This
2: is awesome. <laughs> um, I mean, so the the first time I wrote about blessings and it was the draft of that article and I sent it to Val. She didn't respond right away, and I had like I melted down for the next three hours. I'm like, she thinks it's offensive or dumb or. I'm just a, a heretic, you know, because I'm, I'm talking about, because I'm trying to, you know, articulate what I see as the doctrine of women's priesthood. You know, where's that line of authority talking about mitochondria? And, and all those, and then she finally gets back to me and says, like, I didn't respond quite right away because I was, you know, weeping. And I'm oh. like, oh my gosh, I'm just so glad that you're talking to me again. <laughs> um, yeah, we just, you know, I don't know. I, I suppose that's just true of all, all of us. We're, you know, shy, hot messes, really
1: yeah well i think when you've grown up in the church i mean especially you know like from i was young you know it's just it's always been kind of men orientated hasn't it it's it's you know the men give the blessings the men pass the sacrament the men are the leaders they have the last say you know so i think for me certainly um it's so hard to change that like i love how you say just take it just just do it like and i i hope i can get to that one day but I think it would take a very long time in me personally and just the person that I am who feels that they need to justify themselves for everything and, and need permission from people to do things or justification or that, you know, um, confirmation like you're okay to do that, you know. Um, it, it, it is so hard to, to come away from that because I feel it's just in me and, and I do hope that maybe one day that, that can slowly change. I feel it's already kind of changing slightly um, just from my time out of the church and just processing a lot of things. But I just, I think, um, I say, let's just all us love and get together and just let's change it. Let's say we're all doing this. What are you going to do about it?
0: <laughs>
2: I mean, it's seems like this.
1: I'm like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> no, I'm just joking.
0: It's a, it's just a circle
2: it of women good. talking.
0: Exactly. And, and I have to say, that's how we first heard your story is because women's spaces are yep. absolutely rocking the world right now. And you know, in, in a church setting, women are driving things forward and so much is happening. Um, But, you know, I, I think when someone that we love is fearful of doing something, if if I'm learning anything, it's that Heavenly Mother is... is she's happy for me to call on her to you know to act in her name and righteousness and if you need to be reassured then that's why you have a best friend who will always tell you yeah you go do it and you know like I know in our audience if anybody needs to reach out and be reassured or ask questions then you know I I know that you guys have been so gracious and and giving us your time and um you know, if people want to call out, I do want to ask another question. Um So the idea that we have always had the power. Okay, does that get gaslighting? I think that can be weaponized. Does that make sense? Like, um, oh. I feel like in, in conferences, sometimes we get the message that, you know, that yeah, women, you, you do have this, you just haven't really... Maybe it's that I'm not unlo- unlocking the power of that um, in its entirety and it's still being gatekept, but um, may- I don't know. Could you maybe say No, I, 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 I
2: understand your question. Okay. You're like, couldn't then it be said, well, why, what's your problem, ladies? You've always had the power. Why did you yes. not use it? It's on you. Um, you know, let me phrase that, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. kind of what you're talking about, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, that's a long institutional MO, right? You just, you just say, okay, but you didn't. And that isn't what we were taught. And this has been going on and this heritage does exist. So you don't get to sweep it under the rug that you you know, quieted this down. I mean, look at how many things are like, you know, wildly try to pretend never happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I will tell you that the time that, um, I genuinely got angry um like like furious and my husband has this really funny picture of me in the church history museum in salt lake and i'm just like you know just and, and it's this the rock the dang rock joseph smith's stupid rock
0: yeah
2: the rock in the hat so my whole life my and i am a well-trained well-educated all the seminary all the byu classes moron girl and i never heard about a rock at all and there was something about the tangibleness of, <laughs> the tangibleness of it that like offended my little science sensibilities you know and just like i don't believe in magic rocks like that's just silly i was just furious and it was like like at a cellular level it offended me
3: right but you and them felt so much more real
2: well it did Absolutely. because it lasted no <laughs> they've shown you pictures <laughs> i knew a purpose. about a purpose.
3: Those. A purpose yeah
2: and and i could i could get my head around like Eyeglasses, and then you look at gold plates, and then the words change, right? Yeah. But uh, a magic rock was like flat out Harry Potter nonsense. <laughs> and then, and I, I think it was Oakes, it's probably Oakes, who said, We've always taught about that. And I was like, How dare you? <laughs> no, how dare you? Yeah. Um, and I was curious. So, sure, I think that's what I mean, because it's embarrassing for folks, right? Now, I will say, when we talk about will the institution shift, Demographics are interesting. Women make up the bulk of the church. So, that's increasingly true. So there's going to be this like tipping, I'm mean, already the more and more roles that, well, women can do this and they can do that. There's congregations where women are the Sunday school president and all this sort of thing, because that's what it has to, that's, that's who's there. So I'm very curious to see over the next 30 years, what do you do when the, most people in your pews are women, and yet you are still creating a patriarchal system where they are. I mean, it's patriarchy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not going to work forever. And I mean, look how much grumbling and recreating the spaces and shifting has already happened because we're like we're here. We're the ones showing up. That we need female bishops. <laughs> but but truly, I mean, that'd that like, be amazing. You know, but they, they're running; they're rapidly running into just a flat-out demographic problem. Um, you've already seen some of this shift already. When I was growing up, uh, and I, I felt much older than both of you, so. Um, but um, uh, all the young lessons I got were um, flat-out: no point in majoring in studying sciences. That's not women's. You know, uh, you would not work. Someone who works is, is definitely not a righteous woman right mothers are in the home and that's your only option they don't teach that anymore uh that's not i mean that's certainly i got pounded over the head that's not emphasized anymore because that's not what the world's like anymore it's not 1955 and i mean i don't know anybody in the states who could survive And have children who do even one activity and have a single income. I mean, it's just, it's rough, right? It's, this just isn't the way the world is. So they quietly just, yeah. Um, There's other things that were really prevalent in the eighties that we don't discuss anymore. Lamanites. (laughs) No more, no more Lamanites. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I think those shifts in that sense will happen. I'm not holding my breath for some sort of formal announcement, yeah but again change doesn't always happen from the authoritative top down really doesn't
0: and that's what i mean i could imagine in a conference in a few years time because we've had the the glimpse of it already you know to say you, you you what other what other authority could it be um that at some point in the future we will hear you've always had the power and it will be it will feel the opposite how it felt in this presentation
2: yeah i I, you're probably right and then and then we can do a call and do a lot of yelling and um and then get busy writing new manuals for our daughters
0: yep i love it Um, it's not
3: it's not going to be linda the good talking to um dorothy Dorothy telling her to click your slippers because you've always had the power yeah yeah now we can choose to see it that way and accept it and as you said, reach up and take it that way, but it's not going to feel that way at mm-hmm. all. Now, no. we've watched, we've definitely watched changes in LGBTQ relationships with the church over just over the last five or six years. We've watched specific changes. We've watched upheaval and we've watched improvement. We've watched some really big, back, back, um, really big steps backwards. Um, but, you know, I, I expected to be excommunicated at this point. Um, until they came out with the new policies last year. And suddenly it's not an issue. And I've written some other things about, you know, sometimes I've I ever think about the difference between worth and worthiness and how worth was inherent, but worthiness was, was um, subjective. And you can be worthy or not worthy one day and someone changes a rule and suddenly you are worthy mm. or suddenly you're not because it's subjective to policies and rules. And I think that we're going to see some change. I think we have a lot of policies that masquerade as doctrine that slowly, oh, okay. very slowly change. So.
2: But, and, and you're right here. I think it'll be not announcements in conference, right? It'll be the handbook policies change sort of like what you've encountered, Val, the policies changed. It wasn't announced in conference, yeah. but the policies changed and you exhaled, yeah. you know, uh, do I wish they would do these things with fanfare and acknowledgement of, whatever, of course. But I mean, not just our own church institution, no institutions do that. If there's something they're not really pleased with how they've handled and want to change it, they just kind of quietly fix it. You know, I mean, that's just, you know, that's true universities and city councils and school boards. And, you know, this is just, I think that speaks to um, not the most, oh, not the better angels of humanity, but at least we move forward and if you do feel gaslit not to diminish that um then yell about it you know
0: mm, yeah Yeah. i love that um do you think i could maybe um ask about valerie if you're comfortable to speak about it you had mentioned that you were surprised that you got um w- would it be okay to call it support in your ward during um was it now Reminds me, was it after your surgery?
3: Oh, so a little bit of the story of my ward. Um, I can't, I went through a, a decades-long process of determining what to do. M- my wife knew that I was transgender for the last 20 years of our marriage, but I wasn't going to transition while she was still around. I didn't know that I ever would. In fact, in 2018, in February, I was still telling pill- still pill- people that I never would. That changed in June. And two months later, I went to my bishop and I said, this is what's happening. And I didn't ask permission or go in and ask for forgiveness or counseling or anything. I just walked in and said, look, this is what's happening. And all I want to know is whether I will still be welcome at church. And I'm very kind and very understanding and very uneducated bishop and sat and talked to me with him for an hour, and we discussed the whole thing. But we didn't tell anybody. Um, So I spoke with him. I spoke with the the stake president. The stake president handed me the standard set of restrictions that every transgender person who transitions gets. Um, And I also knew that in the handbooks, it said that if you got surgeries or medical transitions, that you would maybe excommunicated, but that may is always interpreted as a must. I think Mm -hmm. in most cases. So I knew that was sitting there and, but we didn't tell anybody. And so I just showed up one day at church. Um, actually I was going to do it in January one, but when I spoke to spoke to the state president and asked him, um, about when these restrictions he was talking about would start and we were having this discussion in August, he said, we had a little discussion about why and what, and basically he said it immediately. And I said, well, I might as well just transition immediately at church, too. I'm not going to wait. And so I did at church. And so I just left work. And the rest of my uh, my work life was where I, the, the full culmination happened in January of 2019. But I just showed up at church. And the only people that knew were the guy that I played tennis with every week. I let him know because there have been other conversations in the past. And that was it. Um, I did have the bishop inform the um, ward council so that they would have some understandings. When people asked them questions, they would have, be able to answer them. Um, but that first day I sat down. Oh, and I started going to church 15 minutes early so that I could show up in church, get my seat. And then people would choose to sit next to me as opposed to me imposing myself on them. And so I sat down that first day, and the Elders Corn president, Leech Society president, the high priest group leader, um, both counselors and the bishop all stopped by to let me know that they were supporting me, which is very, very nice. And then, nope, nothing else was said. There were rumors and discussions and talks. And in fact, it was about a month later, um, Kira and her family came home, from, no, wait, um, the-
2: wait. I have to I have to give my perspective on this because this is a really <laughs> funny story for my husband and I. I had no idea, you know, what was going on in Valerie's life. And when she was ward clerk, she'd known my husband quite well uh, as as Brother Green. Um, and we had been gone for a month, and Valerie transitioned like the day we left, and so. I, we don't. I, honestly, we don't have a gossipy ward because no one texted me or said anything. Or so we get back, and of course, with our little kids, we're running late. You know, and we come buzzing to church, and we sit down. And Josh was giving a talk that day, so he's up on the stand. And I'm like looking around, like, oh, okay, you know, it's been like a month. And I'm like, oh, there's a very lovely transgender woman. I was really digging her heels. Val wears the greatest heels. Um, and I'm like, I'm like, but that's unusual. I've never seen a transgender woman in here in church before. How exciting! So I text my husband on the stand and he goes, that's formerly Virgil Green. I'm like, what? What? (laughs) And then I'm like looking around there, I'm like, does no one else notice that she's transitioned? Like everyone was so normal. And that's because it had been a month and the humans had gotten over it. They had been like a kerfuffle and then like, well, guess that's how it is. And then everyone was fine. And then the cracuses came home and I'm talking about gas. And I'm like, am I, am I, am I crazy? Like how, how is brother so-and-so next to me not flipping out? Right. Yeah. And, and I guess what that speaks to is how quickly humans acclimate. And the other part was, although they, they laid out all these stupid rules for her. And one of them was you couldn't come to Relief Society. And this is what I love about our ward. Um, oh, that did not go over well with the women of the ward. And it wasn't oh, just like really? travel around yeah it wasn't just rabble-rousers like me you know your 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 liberal nut jobs in the in, in the ward it was like the crowd that votes for trump you know was like how dare you keep her out of here i mean it was a coalition of people that never agree right all these women were like going to the bishop saying it is not right that you think you can keep valerie out of Lee society until they folded what are they gonna do you know yeah.
3: So I don't president. actually know about these things. So I didn't know, but I knew that I that my leadership president wanted me to be there. And so anyway, so I had these interactions with people, and some people didn't know what to do. So part of this was the day that they returned was the day that Josh gave a speech, uh, a talk. And at the end of the talk, he made a comment about the church needing to be more inclusive of LGBTQ members. And I'm like, oh, well, when did he said that? Because I'm sitting here. So
2: no, you are a bit of a home. shock.
3: Yeah. So, I, so, I sent him a, so I sent him a text when I got home. And I said, was that because you knew I transitioned or what? And he goes, no, I had no clue. That was always <laughs> in my talk. And I was like, well, that's that's really nice to know. Um, but anyway, so at the same time, I had other stories where um, I was sitting in Sunday school. And the person who is currently my ministering sister tells me this story. She was in the back of the the room and someone was talking about the fact that I transitioned because as there's a little bit of a kerfuffle and she said something about, um, Oh, she was referring to me. She used feminine pronouns and someone else said, well, why would you make fun of him like that? Uh, and she goes, um, I don't think I'm making fun of him. I think that's exactly what she wants. And so she sent me a note later that day and said, I had this conversation and I would be just, I can't even think of the word that she used. I'd be mortified to think that someone thought that I was making fun of you. And I just wanted to verify this is, is this is my understanding correct. I said, yes, it's absolutely correct. And so we've had very little problems in our ward. I had one member who was a former, our previous bishop, who he was having a little bit of a fight with the lady teaching Sunday school. Was it me? Huh? Was it me? No, it's Amy Brown. And no, it's Amy Brown. So she wanted him to stop sitting on the side, you know. And it was very beginning, and he's like, "Don't sit on the side. Come sit in the middle." And so he just hopped up, and he wanted to be loud, and he was, you know, there was he was there was this pushback between. That was playful, and he was, "Well, I guess I'll just go over and sit by, and use my old name." And but you know, he came and sat by me. You know, it was like exciting. I go sit by. By, by green. And I sent him a note later that day. And I said, you know, I know it's, it's new, but and no one's talked to you explicitly, but I never want to be called that name again. And I never got a response, but he never called me anything other than that. My correct name again. So has um, been
2: great for our congregation because her bravery means that then a whole group of people, uh, learned, educated, and embraced mm-hmm. and, um, it's been really
3: lovely. And I did not expect that, you know, because I've had discussions with all, well, not all, obviously not all, but so many transgender members who have not experienced this. Yes. You know, I know the stories of the transgender children who were kicked out of their homes. I mean, this happened around here. I know the um, transgender members who have been shunned by their congregations. I know the ones that have been bodily removed from meetings Um, And we're talking adults, you know, 40-plus-year-old adults being physically removed from meetings. It doesn't happen that everywhere. everywhere. I live a a Goldilocks kind of life where everything has worked out for me in ways I did not expect. I thought I'd be excommunicated. I didn't know how the war would react. Um, You know, every transgender person thinks they're going to lose their employment. I thought I'd lose friends. All I've done is expand things. I haven't lost Anyone, a couple of weird little things. I've had conversations that were comfortable with one woman in the ward who was, she said, she finally came and talked to me one day, six months after I transitioned and we had a four hour conversation. And she talked to me about the first time she found out her reaction, um, how much it upset her and her family, the conversations that they had for months in their home Trying to work through this, and I said, "You realize you're talking about all the stages of grief." She was trying to figure out how her worldview had changed and what had lost. I say the word "lost," but you know, it's what changed. You know, what what had disappeared. And so, we so we talked about that being the stages of grief. And in the end, she goes, "You know, I understand a lot more now." And in fact, she well, she told me at one time she was mad at all the women in the ward for fawning over me. She was, why are they spending so much attention to Valerie? And I said, it's because I'm a new woman in the ward, and they're just being inviting, like they do to all the new women in the ward. And I'm sorry, you've been in the ward for 20 years. <laughs> so, um, but I said I, thought, I said, I think that's perfectly normal, and I'm, I'm really excited that it happened. And I'm, I think I'm fortunate that we live in a transient ward. So about two thirds of our ward rolls over every five years, and there's so many young people coming through, and the young people in the church are not putting up with the old ideas. Yeah, yeah. they're not going to put up with it at all. And so, and my Relief side president. Oh, I went to I went to an affirmation conference, and I did a, um, a video while I was there um, for Latter Day Stories, and so I invited people to watch my video. And also to watch the leadership sessions from the Affirmation Conference. And when I did that, my Relief Society president, she, went, she followed through and she watched them. And she came to me and she said, I didn't fully understand, but now I have a much better understanding. And I realize there's so many things that I can do not violating the restrictions that you have to live with. But things that aren't official Relief Society things... I can make sure you're involved with all of those things. I can make sure that this is expansive and that we build an environment that is inclusive. And the day that the new, the new policies came out, um, that they finally articulated a transgender policy within the, within the handbook, she contacted me within hours of its release, and said, "I've already in contact with the bishop, advocating once again." for your inclusion in Relief Society, because there's nothing in that book that says you can't be there. Mm-hmm. And there's a policy now. And so within days, I've been invited to a Sin Relief Society, and I went to one meeting, and then we shut down church worldwide. It was <laughs> so traumatic. Wow. <laughs> uh, no, that anyway. makes
1: my heart so happy. Yeah.
3: But yeah, so I, and so I've been a very active participant in Relief Society um, since February of 2020. Well,
0: you and know I I think it's really, uh, we we have an audience that is very, very far reaching and uh, that that goes over a wide demographic. We have lots of people in uh, European American leadership who watch this show and just, you know, I would just encourage you all, if you're listening to this, look at what's possible. Um, we have uh, both Alana and I and our, our family we, we both have transgender family members um, and uh, my niece who is now who's now with us um, who we adore is with us permanently and I've not been able to say, you know, you will be safe at church. If you come to church, you will not be further traumatized. It, it, you know, it won't get worse than the experiences that you've already had. You'll be safe here. Um, when And when I heard um, about your experiences when you guys presented that, I saw possibilities. Um, the fact that you can, you know, draw on the power that, that you have inherently to... To create possibilities as an act of creation, and um, you know, it's it's just so exciting to me.
2: Yeah, I
1: think uh, just as I'm thinking about that, I think you know, a lot of thoughts come to my head about how people view LGBTQ and things like that. I have uh, multiple LGBTQ family members um, personally. And one of them was active in the church, and it was horrible to sit back and watch the hurt and the pain that was caused by the institution and the way they were treated for being who they are, um, to the point where they were almost ending their life. And and that's that's one of the the big things for me that that knocked my faith was was that that member and how they were treated, you know. And often we hear things like. Okay, oh, you know, it's just a generational thing, you know, that's that's how they were raised and that's what was taught. And I'm like, well, in my opinion, that's not good enough because you are a person, you have the right to educate yourself. You can't go with what happened back in that day. You can't go with what the church has taught over the years because the world is evolving, the world is changing. LGBTQ is becoming more of a normative thing Um and I, I don't. I don't hope I don't offend by saying that. I'm, I'm always wary of my language, and, and I don't want to offend in any way. Um, you know, it's becoming more widely accepted in society, um, and I think. And 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 I also think, you know, it, it has been good to see the small changes that the church are making. But again, for me, it's not enough. It, it's not enough. I think we need to be educating our members more within the church, and teaching more about how we treat people. Um, that it's not okay to to beat these people and pull them down and, and not speak to them because of who they are. Um, you know, I, I always say this, my God, my Jesus was love, about love, compassion, didn't judge by colour. Well, I, would, I, I hope he didn't. <laughs> in my opinion, he wouldn't have. And so I think we talk about being the church of Jesus Christ, and yet, in my opinion, I always say this, we can be so far from being a disciple of Jesus Christ by how we act. And and I get that it takes time for people to change. I get that. I'm not like, oh, you need to change overnight. But I think, and I think I learned a lot of this um, from Jane, that, you know, that, like Jane always said to me, you know, it it's, it's our responsibility to edu- educate ourselves about the history of the church. You know, we should know about our history, you know, um, I also believe it is part of the church's responsibility yeah. as well, um, but yeah, I guess I'm just trying to say that that we can't use excuses, we can't, these excuses don't wash with me that, that you know, it's a generational thing or it's a this or it's a that, um, we need to do better, um, as I say, I'm, I'm no longer active, but I still say we because I still feel part of that to a degree that, that we need to do better, we need to love and accept regardless of race color gender how you identify i have a non-binary um niece i still find it hard i still they identify as they them i still slip up but i always correct myself i'm respectful of who they want to be and who they are and i think your experience does give me hope a little bit (laughs) i think it's wonderful valerie that your ward was so accepting and so loving and took the change I often think, would that happen in our ward? I don't think so, because I think we've got too many people who have been taught, um, you know, we have, without mentioning, we have someone who thought it was okay to say to someone about um, it being next to murder, what Jane reminds me, you know, um, miracle of forgiveness, oh, that's
2: a book. Mormon doctrine,
1: um, all these things. You know, yeah. so I just think, I think, it, it, I, I really hope it changes and I'm so, so grateful that your ward, I think we need to bring your ward to Scotland. For a, for a couple of weeks and teach Scotland how to be a good ward in that way that, that they accept people for who they are.
3: Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of dynamics that were involved here too. And I've been a member of this ward for over 30 years. And people have known me for – the old timers have known me for a long time. The new people are all young. That makes a difference. But mm. it also helps that, that I'm old and stubborn And I knew exactly where I was and who I was.
0: Mm.
3: And I walked in and said, this is what's happening. I'm not here to ask permission or ask for counseling or confess anything. This is what's happening. Are you ready? And I also told them, look, I'm not going to be an activist. I'm I'm not someone who's going to start advocating for the church to change. You know, I, this is the church. The church The institution is what it is and it will change as it, needs to change, and I've watched it change. In fact, a month before the, the new policies came out, I told the bishop, things will be changing in the near future. I guarantee you that. And then, poof, it happened. Not as much as we'd like, but it happened. And so, again, I, I'm, I'm just in a unique situation, I think. But it means I also feel a responsibility to help make those changes everywhere. Yeah. And two things that are really important is that, Nothing changes someone's heart and understanding of a marginalized community member than getting to know a member of that community. And, you know, for a long time, I thought, you know, am I doing anything effective in this ward? And then we had um, a young woman who came out and I talked to her about that. And she said, yeah, when you transitioned, I watched to see how the ward reacted. I wanted to know if I would be safe. And I learned that I would I could be safe in this ward. Every conversation I've had with someone who had an issue at the beginning, that one where I had the four hour conversation in my kitchen table, everything's fine. You know, once they learned and they got to understand and become educated and get to know what's really happening, the, the barriers break down, the walls break down, the defenses drop. And you start to have these, these vulnerable and careful and studied conversations. So I, mean, uh, I, yeah. Love,
2: yeah. I love that one of the things you, you you mentioned there, which is very much in the theme of what we, we've tried to do here, is your identity is your authority. Mm. And that look how powerful that is. You know. And also every time I hear you talk about um, your your experience and your your journey and the response of the ward and that kind of thing, it it cuts through any um, cynicism or um, the despair I have for like our species as a whole. Right. I go, Oh, awesome. look at that, man. See, we're good. We can be good. We really like the humans can uh We're a, uh, I think we're fundamentally good. And like you said, you get to, if someone knows they have a personal connection, we are capable of growth and change. Mm-hmm. We don't always look like we're going to be, but <laughs> I think, um, it's I, when removes awesome. my thing. It renews my faith in humanity, you know, renews, and things like
0: that. I think the that you use of being a tree is is so beautiful because you know your your work has and does reach out and uh, and affect the lives of, of other people when when we're not even looking. I'm going to throw back to you guys and uh, and let you. you yeah, know, we have some wrap up thoughts. Yeah, let's do that. Um,
2: that a few closing thoughts um before we go and then i have to go put my professor hat back on and you know <laughs> get people ready for finals and whatnot but right. um
3: throw up the slide
2: yes and i'm going well just a few thoughts before we go um now i'm trying to
0: okay i will just get it up for
2: us we'll give it a moment it should be sharing now is that nope 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 got it okay
0: just
2: be a moment as soon as it pops up. Okay, whoops, just a moment. All right. And thank you all for your thoughts and sharing. It's an honor to have been here.
3: So this blessing was a culminating experience. It took over half a century for me to finally transition. But it was the most important and most gratifying decision I ever made. Transition comes in phases. There's a social transition in which I present myself to the world and interact with society in a way that expresses who I really am. There's a medical transition in which hormones are introduced or suppressed, producing small physical changes, but profound emotional changes. There are various surgical options for transition. I was in a position to affect all of those changes, and I was privileged to be able to do that. But there was one transition I couldn't do on my own. I maintained a spiritual facade as surely as I maintained both physical and emotional facades. That one had to be removed as well. On that night, during that blessing, I completed my spiritual journey. I was invited in, embraced in a way that let me know that it was safe to let go of the spiritual mask that I didn't even realize I was still clinging to. That night, during the most sacred and spiritual moment of my life, I finally accepted my place in the eternal sisterhood where I belong. While my authority to exercise the Melchizedek priesthood can be withdrawn or made dormant, my matriarchal authority can never be taken away.
2: There's a good chance my dear mother is listening in. Um, And uh, for those of you who go and read the dialogue article, It's about her mother's blessing. And it's from our conversations that I have this incredibly insightful quote from her. Our priesthood, mother's priesthood, women's priesthood, didn't need to be restored because it was never lost. Our matriarchal lines have never been broken. Mother to daughter, that unshuffled mitochondrial DNA has been handed down even when we weren't aware of it. There has never been a question who the mother is she cannot be erased. We are not lost. We have always carried within us the power to bless and to heal. I close my eyes when I'm afraid and I feel the warm orange glow of maternal safety and I whisper to myself, nothing is lost. We are not lost. I am not lost. I think about the authority of the prophetess Deborah, the leadership of Miriam, the zeal of Rebecca, the grit of Mary, and the sheer dominant force of Eve. Eve didn't wait for permission either. She trusted herself and did what was needed. She never hesitated when it came to her children. I am my mother's daughter. Sorry. I am my mother's daughter. We are all her daughters, her wild and powerful daughters. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. I, um, I, I'm i going to take us out. Um, before I do, do you guys want to share, is there anything that in your work or that you want to um, signpost us to, any resources that you want to mention?
3: I have nothing extra.
2: That, Val always has all sorts of things going I'll, on.
3: Find me on Facebook and all kinds of places and stuff, but.
2: But but you know both of us are available to uh, anyone at any time. Uh-huh. There's that, and and we'll definitely make sure that uh, both the trifold and the um, uh, the articles and things like that, the resources, uh, we'll post on the page or I'll give to you guys. To, yeah. I think I sent them to you to post yeah, on the we, page.
0: We'll we'll post them all in, in the show notes. Um, we guys, we have homework to do. Um, yeah.
2: I, and if you come to St. Louis, you can hang out with these two. Look at this, don't we look like fun? We're fun, we have
0: a lot of fun together. Yeah. So we do, <laughs> I've got these guys on Facebook and they are, they, they are fun, um, are kind of people. As as we head out, one of the things that we that we learned from <laughs> from your presentation is something that we had taken with us um, in our podcasting journey. um That that what we would like to do um, as best friends to two best friends is to bless your journey and to say thank you so much for all that you are doing. Um, Kira, we we bless you to be the kind of friend that that you know is needed in the world. We bless your work. We bless your faith, um, and and we we bless you as as our example of our mother, and um, we bless you as a sister. Val, we bless you, sister. We love you and thank you so much for showing us all of the possibilities. We bless every part and every step of your journey, um, audience. I-
1: enough with making me cry already
0: <laughs>
1: I, don't cry. I don't do a crying live on here to this extent i'm like i want to sob and i can't it's,
0: it's um it's it, uh, i i knew tonight was going to be was going to be you know, big in the fields and it and of course it yeah so to our audience we're going to leave it right there and thank you so much for joining us we are um you know, you can find us on Facebook, get in touch um, if you do have questions as you're processing tonight and give yourself time. Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll see you all in the next episode.
2: Bye, everyone.